Blog Talk Radio. So, 
you know, I think at this point, the Sixers, uh, you know, they, the team itself hasn't certainly given up on the season. They still have upwards of, you know, 30 games remaining. And, uh, you know, they're definitely the, – the remaining games are still extremely important for the team, uh, you know, not so much in the win-loss aspect, but more so, you know, as as far as development goes, I think the uh, the rest of the season will be important in regards to how Jalil and Ja um, can, you know, coexist together. The Sixers uh, and Brett Brown have recently moved, you know, slid Jalil over to the four spot, which, uh, you know, it's it's a big adjustment for him. It's a guy that has been, you know, accustomed to being the big man on the floor, playing the center spot for most of his life through, uh, you know, high school. And, of course, last year is one season at Duke that resulted in a national championship. So, you know, asking him to slide over to the fourth spot is, is definitely an adjustment, and it's not something that, you know, it's not something that's necessarily just going to happen overnight. But, you know, I think the team sees, uh, you know, just ex- what kind of a, a paint protector uh, Nerlens Noel could be, uh, you know, when he's stationed in the paint there at, at the five spot. And with Jalil's offensive abilities, you know, I think they just see him as a guy that could, you know, potentially play, fit into that four spot role um, on offense offensively better than Noel and you know that Noel is probably better suited to be the paint protector and the big man um, you know down low in defensive sets so you know their their ability to coexist going forward I think depends a lot on you know how how well they're each able to you know do their job uh, you know of what's expected for them but uh, you know it's certainly been been a struggle to say the least at times so far uh you know they've been in together individually uh you know they've both Netherlands and Ja have uh you know had some stellar games this season Jalil said is uh you know his NBA rookie career high the other night with 31 uh you know Netherlands has has a non-stop motor and has been getting it going on both ends of the floor and uh you know you can really see what he can bring to the floor offensively when he's in there running uh you know rim running and running pick and roll sets with Ish um you know earlier in the season when he was kind of pushed into the four spot like they're doing with Jalil now and uh you know tasked with taking other guys off of the dribble or trying to create his own offense uh you know it became an issue and he's a, you know he at this point in in his game at least he's not that sort of offensive player and, uh, you know, there's a good chance that he won't ever be, you know, he's a, he's a defensive minded guy. That's where his natural instincts and abilities are. Um, you know, that's what he did at, at Kentucky before the injury. And that's what he's done, um, you know, over the better part of two years since he's, uh, you know, been here playing for the Sixers. So, you know, that that's an issue that the team's certainly going to have to address going forward. And, uh, you know, me and Jeff will certainly get into that later. Uh, but before we do that, we have a uh, a very special guest joining us on the show today that I'm uh, pretty excited about. This guy is a, uh, a basketball podcast pioneer and, uh, you know, he's a real inspiration to a lot of up-and-coming basketball bloggers and podcasters such as myself. Uh, you probably know him as the co-host of uh, my personal favorite NBA show, um, NBA TV's The Starters. If you don't watch The Starters, you know, you you probably should. We'll just leave it at that. But uh, anyway, without further ado, we're uh, very happy to welcome Tass Mellis to the show. Tass, uh, thanks a lot for joining me, man. How's it going? Johnson just got uh, waved. Some news happening here in uh, late February. Yeah, you know, right after the uh, the trade deadline, things are still shaking up. 
but uh you know i really appreciate you uh you taking the time to join me on the on the show here today to talk a little bit uh sixes and uh some eastern conference basketball um but before we get into that uh you know you guys recently as the uh the starters and formerly the basketball jones just uh celebrated your 10th anniversary uh you know you had the uh the week week long celebration the podcast um you had a really nice write up recently in the uh the Toronto Star um you know i, I was just wondering what is a uh, what does that sort of longevity, you know, 10 years mean to you uh, personally and in, in an industry that's, you know, constantly expanding and, uh, you know, just adding new talent, uh, you know, since you guys started? What does it mean to, you know, have 10 years under your belt and that sort of longevity? Well, it's uh, when you look at the 10 years, it's uh, there's a lot of different sort of sections and components to the timeline because yeah together we've been together for 10 years um and and that means a lot just sort of relationship wise the way we work we work so closely together um so to be with anybody for 10 years i mean it's an accomplishment uh and uh you know there's lots of ups and downs that come with it it's it's like a marriage i mean we sit around the table together uh and uh and you know there's there's some tough times um but uh, because we work so closely together, um, you know, there, there are, there's that side of things. And then uh, as far as the working, uh, you know, the professional part of it, you know, we weren't getting paid for the first almost four years. So, it, you know, we look at it, it we, we've been together for 10 years, but the first four years, it was really just a labor of love. And, uh, you know, as, as you mentioned, you know, we were sort of part of, you know, the first few basketball podcast back then um and uh so so it was just sort of part of it why we were successful is because we were there at the forefront you know we you know basketball podcasts in 2006 weren't our aren't what they were you know today and uh that's just a large part of why we were successful is because you know, we were out there just doing it. And, and so a lot of the times when people talk about, you know, give, give advice to other, to other podcasters, well, a big part of it is just showing up every day. Uh, and, and that's the honest truth. So those first four years um, turned into six more where we're actually working and getting paid for, for doing a show that's turned into a television show. And, and, you know, we keep our podcast roots with a, you know, a weekly keeping, you know, podcasting our show um, because that's where we come from. Uh, daily but also sort of an audio only podcast on uh, Fridays um because that's what we love to do so it's it's um it's turned from a, a hobby and a labor of love to a job uh because you know we put a lot of reps in and um you know we were we were bad back then you know we weren't great at our jobs and uh it, well I guess you can't call it a job but uh you know we got a lot of reps in and and it it's helped us uh become what we are today and yeah looking back at 10 years it's uh, you know, a lot of feelings, a lot of emotions, uh, a lot of uh, uh, ups and downs. And um, uh, as I mentioned, I mean, I'll, I'll finish with this. You know, when we we signed after about four years to to finally work uh, for it was a Canadian company, The Score. Um, it was probably coming to an end, I'd say, uh, in that sort of iteration of us. And I mean that we couldn't have gone on just not getting paid after four years. Uh, it was just a difficult, uh, it was a difficult thing. And, and that was probably going to be the end of us being together and, and not being paid in that, in that the basketball Jones, uh, that, that iteration of it. I'm not sure we could have gone on unless we got signed then. So, 
you know, when that happened, it, it's turned into six more and, you know, hopefully another 10. Yeah, well, uh, you know, your story in general, I think, as you know, it's it's definitely an inspiration to a lot of, uh, you know, young up-and-coming podcasters uh, such as myself. And I think you just said something that's, you know, extremely important for the audience to, you know, kind of understand when you mentioned how, you know, yeah, it's your 10-year 10, 10 anniversary, but for the first four you know, you couldn't really consider it a job. It was more, you know, a, a labor of love, as you put it, and a, and a hobby, um, you know, as you weren't getting paid and for four years through this work. And I think that's something that's really important for, you know, a lot of younger bloggers or writers today is, you know, the medium has exploded even since you guys started in 06. Um, you know, I think it's important for people to understand that, you know, it's, it's not necessarily immediate, gra you know, gratification. You're not necessarily going to, you know, join a blog and put out a couple posts and a couple months later, you know, getting being getting paid the big bucks. It's just, you know, it's not how it works. And, uh, you know, basically, if you want to find success, you really, you have to stick with it in, you know, pretty much every case. And I think, uh, you know, your your guys' situation and your story is a great example of that. And, uh, you know, it's a, a great, uh, you know, a great model and some things for, uh, you know, other up-and-coming bloggers who are kind of looking to follow in, in similar paths that you guys did to know. Um, but, you know, like I said, the podcasting, just the medium itself um, and, the you know, the overall coverage of the NBA, thanks to, you know, the growth of the Internet and, and whatnot has exploded uh, even since, you know, when you guys started as a basketball Jones, um, you know, you were doing what basically what you and me are doing right now before most people even knew what a podcast was. Uh, you know, do you, ever, do you ever think of yourself as kind of like, a, you know, a godfather of uh, NBA basketball podcasting kind of in that manner? Um, no, definitely not. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, there were, uh, occasion, there were some team podcasts when we started in 2006 and, and uh, listen, I didn't know what a podcast was either until, uh, you know, a good friend of mine and, uh, the producer of the show to this very day, uh, Jason Doyle brought it up. Uh, <laughs> you know, he, you know, he was, he's an audio editor and he was listening to podcasts in 2006 and uh, we had just gotten out of college about six months or six months prior, and we had worked together in college on, you know, internet radio together. And so he brought up uh, to myself into Skeets, um, you know, who's been my co-host for for ten years. Um, he said, "Why aren't we doing a podcast? Why aren't we doing something creative that we have control over, uh, that we can get into?" Uh, on a daily basis, uh, you know, like something that we can just besides our jobs, just something that we can, you know, just dig our teeth into and, and just have some fun with, um, even if we're not getting paid. Uh, so that was that was the impetus of it, and that's how it all sort of began. And uh, you know, I, I, there, there were others who who were around at the time. So the Godfather uh, <laughs> uh, title is. Um, <laughs> it's it's probably it's a little unfounded but it it's uh it's you know we, uh, it, the word job uh means that you're getting paid primarily and second secondly it's it also comes with you know things that you don't like to do aspects of the job that are um aren't fun uh you know at at, at anybody's job that, that that's working that isn't working for themselves uh, or even if you are working for yourself so I think that's uh, also something to focus on. We weren't working. We didn't have a job at the beginning. And I say that because we loved doing what we did. Um, and, and that's why it made it a lot more digestible to not be getting paid for it. And that factored into our first decision. JD, Jason Doyle, our producer, asked 
Ski tonight. I mean, what do you guys want to talk about? And we both love sports growing up and, and multiple sports, and we obviously both love basketball. But we thought the sports angle might be the better way to go because it would have a wider reach. Uh, more people would listen to it. But that would make it more of a job for us, or would have made it more of a job for us because, you know, we didn't necessarily follow the NHL all that closely. We didn't follow NFL football all that closely. Uh, so it would have been a little bit more laborious, you know, like it would just, just would have been tough to handle, but right. we decided to make it a labor of love and just talk about something we love. So that was, that was one thing. Like if you're not getting paid, uh, it, it makes it so much, so much easier just to do something that you love rather than, you know, spread yourself a little too thin, which was something that we definitely contemplated and were advised to do by, by some. And, and even when we got hired, uh, you know, there was a little bit of talk of, well, maybe do you guys want to make it a, uh, more of a sports show, so there'll be more people who listen to it, but that's not necessarily the truth, uh, and you, you definitely would lose um, your hardcore mainstream, just just small amount, even if it's a small number, the, the people who are definitely dedicated uh, to a show. So the, I think that's another word of advice, uh, along with the uh, you know keep the, keep your head down and keep going that you mentioned earlier. Did you guys have a, a goal when you started out? Was it, you know, was there like an end game in mind or was it more something as, along the lines of, you know, we'll just try this out and see where it takes us? We definitely didn't have an end goal, no. Uh, and that's, um, you know, maybe that's uh, part, of the, part of why we succeeded because there wasn't uh, something that we couldn't attain at the beginning. Like, like if we threw out a goal of, you know, being hired in two years, and didn't attain that, maybe we would have stopped. I don't know, but it's also maybe we've been uh, hired a lot earlier if we started knocking on doors uh, earlier and instead of those, you know, those four years of waking up and listening to each other, you know, <laughs> you know just ramble about crap, you know, when we're not getting paid for it. So there, there's, you know, I just flash back to, to Skeet's breathing heavily into a microphone while I, I had to listen to it. But it was, uh, uh, at the same time, uh, a big part of why we succeeded was because uh, Matt Austin, uh, who's a good friend and joined us uh, about three years in, um, we also went to school with. He came. He came after listening to the show and being a big fan of the show uh, for three years, and we had a relationship. We we all worked uh, with him in school, and uh, you know, it was nice from an outsider's perspective to to hear his take. Uh, that, you know, you guys have a great thing going. Let's take this to people. More people need to know what you guys are doing and, and potentially people who could hire you. So uh, that's where um, Matt um, came in and really basically got assigned uh, for all intents and purposes um, to a to a contract. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a funny thing. Uh, you know, we didn't have an end goal. We were just kind of the, you know, the – the guys who made the show and the creative types, we didn't really have a business acumen whatsoever. And um, we probably should have had somebody do that at, at the beginning. But at the same time, you know, it's like, unless you have skin in the game, um, it's difficult to really want to make it succeed. So, um, you know, it, it's kind of, it's kind of a, a catch 22. Would you rather have somebody around, uh, but you kind of have to pay them, you know, unless, unless they are, uh, a part of the show, um, you know, it, it, there's there's so many factors that come into play. But uh, to answer your question more quickly, no, we didn't have a goal. 
<laughs> well, uh, you know, I, I could talk to you about, you know, you guys and your come up all day, but, uh, you know, I brought you on to talk a little bit of Sixers. Um, so, you know, as, as a guy that, you know, obviously covers the, the league as a whole and watches a whole bunch of teams rather than, you know, a guy that, you know, probably like me folk watching, you know, every single Sixers game, you know, what's your, just what's your view of the Sixers right now today? Like as they stand almost three full years into, you know, Sam Hankey's quote unquote, you know, process, um, you know, coming up on the next the lottery in the 2016 draft, you know, just what's your take, you know, from your perspective on, on the franchise as it stands like right now? Uh, well, I think this is, we're finally coming to uh, an era here where there's going to be a big change with, within the franchise. And just as people are sort of tiring of the, the whole hanky plan in general, fans, media, like I think there's going to be a totally new era coming up um, where there's going to be lots of turnover slash change uh, slash, you know, transactions that happen in June, July and August um, where the youth movement is going to become, uh, you know, not a veteran movement, but definitely more of a, uh, Hey, let's, let's get some things done. Let's win some basketball games. Let's get a little older and, um, and cash in on some of these draft picks. And that's, uh, you know, reportedly what they tried to do um, a, a couple weeks ago uh, when when they tried to get Dennis Schroeder and give up one of their draft picks, which is a very un Sam Hinky un Sixer thing to do. Uh, so that's that's what I what I see as the state of the franchise right now. They, you know, they have four potentially four first round picks this year. I highly doubt they're going to bring in four uh, four kids in into the roster. Uh, on a roster that's obviously so young. I, I see them capitalizing on those picks, capitalizing on some of the young talent, and uh, starting to become more of a an NBA-level basketball team with some NBA-level talent because they're going to trade in some of those picks and some of the players that they have on the roster. Uh, well, you, you mentioned it you know, just now, basically. Um, a, a big storyline especially among the fan base this season when, uh, you know, obviously the win-loss outcome is not, uh, you know, not, not something the fans are really thinking about. Playoff contention was basically out the window after the first week of the season. So, you know, people are looking at other places to focus uh, their attention throughout the season and different things to concentrate on. Uh, you know, a huge kind of underlying storyline that's basically been going on since draft night is how, um, you know, Nerland's, uh, Nerland's Noel and Jalil Okafor, you know, can really play together on the floor. Uh, you know, they've they've both played well individually uh, throughout the season. Okafor just had his, uh, you know, his career high a couple nights ago, uh, 31 points. Nerlens, um, you know, obviously has been, uh, you know, has really stepped his game up since Ish returned in late December. Uh, you know, has been getting it done on both ends of the floor. But when they're out there together, um, they've been inconsistent, to say the least. Uh, you know, recently they, they shifted Okafor to the, the power forwards to try to see if, you know, him and Noel could kind of coexist with Noel man in the paint at the five spot and Okafor kind of sliding out to the, the, four, the four spot since he has, you know, a little bit of touch and a face-up game and a little bit of range. But, uh, you know, it's still it's definitely still a question of, you know, how they can fit going forward, especially when you factor in, uh, you know, a hopefully healthy Joel Embiid, who may be the, you know, the biggest talent out of the three of the three of those guys. Uh, you know, obviously, we haven't got to see him play over the past two seasons, but uh, the potential and the hype is certainly there about his abilities. So, you know. Do you think at this point it's like a foregone conclusion that 
you know, one or two of even, even two of those guys needs to be moved. Like, do you think it's a foregone conclusion that yes, like either Nerlens or Jalil has to go, or do you think it's a little premature to, you know, make that jump already and that they could use a little bit more time together? That's a great question. Yeah. I think the latter, I mean, they definitely need more time together. I mean, this is year one. uh, So why not? Uh, give them more time, especially when you know you're not extremely concerned about wins and losses. That being said, um, you know you've got all these draft picks. Uh, you've got uh, potentially a, a Joel Embiid. Why wouldn't you uh, move, whether it's Okafor um, or one of the other guys, along with some picks, you know, for some some wing slash you know point guard help? Uh, I, I think that's what that's what I see coming. Uh, I. I I don't see the reason behind having your three best players at two positions, um, potentially, and potentially them not being able to work at those two positions. So why wouldn't you, you swing them uh, if you're ready to, you know, to to, to capitalize on on your draft picks, um, which I really think they are. I'd, I'd I'd look for some backcourt help, and you know, Dario Sarge, you know, is part of the equation um, to help out on on those wings or on the wing, but uh, I, I I don't see it as a, you know, I don't want to just claim that they're not going to work out at the four or five spot together, but you know, it's, it's, you got a, a guy in Okafor who's obviously extremely, extremely talented on one end, uh, not so great on the other end and uh, you know, vice versa. It's basically a, a flip, uh, with with Nerlens Noel, I mean he's fine on the offensive end as well, working with a, a good point guard. But um, then you've got yeah, the, like you said, Joel Embiid, who's probably got it all. He's in his bag of tricks, and you know if he's healthy, I think that probably is a catalyst for some more movement, uh, some quicker movement. If they think Joel's going to be a part of this team, then they've got to move one of those big guys and. I don't think it's a bad thing that Okafor continues to go off because it only helps his trade value. And uh, I think June and July is going to be a crazy time. Uh, there's going to be a lot of movement teams as well, you know, who didn't make a, a deal at the trade deadline, who uh, swing out or strike out on a free agent. Cause that's definitely going to happen. Uh, are, we'll be knocking at the Sixers door. And I, I think it makes sense uh, if you're looking to win to shake up that roster. So it's a little bit more balanced. All right, well, I'm going to put you on the spot then. If if you're a Sam Hinkie and Jerry Colangelo and the Brain Trust, which one do you look to move? Do you do you look to keep Nerlens and try to see what he can do with, uh, you know, Joel and start defensively? Or do you keep Jalil and build, uh, you know, around him as a guy that can basically put up 30 and give you 10 boards whenever he, you know, whenever he chooses? Well, I appreciate being put on the spot. I like that. Uh, and um, first, this totally – totally uh is um definitely dependent on whether or not Joel Embiid is healthy. You know, if if Joel Embiid is is not healthy and he's not going to be a, a basketball player on your team, uh then you don't make a move at this point and you just continue to see if you've got two talented guys that'll work together. That being said, Embiid's thrown in there, you got to balance the roster out. Uh I would probably trade Okafor. Uh, because he probably has the most value, um, and if 
if he can get somebody great back for you uh, as a real, real strong player uh, in the guard, mainly in a guard spot, guard wing situation, that's who I would try. Um, you know, it's 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 not because I don't like Jaleel Okafor, but, uh, you know, Embiid's talents would, 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 you know, not make his talents, you know, redundant uh, by any means. Uh, but because Embiid is that good, I mean, that, I think it says more about Embiid than it does Okafor. Embiid is so, so good offensively and should be very good defensively uh, that I think you can you can probably get by with with Nerlens beside him and uh, and Okafor will get you a nice nice player most likely back you know depending on what you package him with. You know, from the outside looking in, I think that's what I would do. But again, it all depends on uh, Embiid's health and um, you know what they what the franchise thinks of of Okafor and and Noel. You know, it's I you know you've definitely seen more Jaleel Okafor than I have, and uh, I'm not a Jaleel Okafor expert. Uh, I definitely like uh, Nerlens Noel, uh, and I like Okafor as a player as well. Um, so I, I wouldn't think it's a dumb idea to keep them around uh, for another year to, to, to see how it works. Uh, but um, I, I think it's time to to get this to get this going. And I think you know the the front office, you know, including Jerry Colangelo, feels the same way because they were definitely involved in those those trade talks. And uh, you know, if they're trading a pick for Dennis Schroeder, you know, along with some other parts, um, then. Then it's time to uh, to see some good basketball on the floor, some better basketball on the floor, and uh, to capitalize on the great coach that they have uh, in Brett Brown and uh, the great uh, locker room that they've built. And uh, you know, it's uh, it's it would be tough to trade uh, Oak before, or tough tough to trade Noel too. But um, you know, uh, I, I think you want to get something really, really great in return for the guy you picked at, at, at number three and, and Okafor is going to, going to be the guy who warrants the most. Yeah. You know, I, I have to agree with you there. And like you said, so much of it obviously depends on the outcome of, uh, you know, Joel Embiid's health that, uh, you know, if Embiid is healthy has basically been a, you know, a qualifier for every Sixers argument or discussion since draft night, uh, you know, it's really right. just so difficult. It's so difficult to assess, uh, you know, basically what they've stockpiled to this point without really knowing if this guy that, you know, potentially could be a, a generational big man that, you know, was drawing comparisons to Hakeem coming out of Kansas. You know, it, it, if you don't know if he's going to be able to contribute consistently going forward, it just, you know, it kind of holds up and hamstrings the whole process. And I think that's been a little bit of the downfall, not the downfall, but I think that's been an issue that the teams had to, uh, you know, work around. And obviously, you know, if he, if they knew Embiid was going to be healthy going forward at the time of last draft, there's a good chance that Okafor might not have been the guy, but, you know, there's just so much, you know, kind of confusion and so much held up in Embiid's health that, uh, you know, I really don't think you can know fully exactly what to do until, uh, you know, until you know what's going to be up with him. Um, I'm assuming that, you know, Hinky and Colangelo have a a better feel for exactly where Embiid's at right now than, you know, the general, the general populace does. They don't let out too much information, uh, you know, regarding his recovery other than the fact that he was in Qatar for a week doing some sort of extreme uh, recovery. 
But, uh, you know, I'll, I'll get you out of here on this one, Tessa. Again, I really appreciate you, you know, taking some time to talk here. Uh, you know, the East, as it stands, you know, right now, obviously you have the Cavs at the top and, the you know, the Raptors biting at their heels. And then a lot of a lot of good teams, you know, in, in the middle there, three through nine, down through, like, the Pistons, Hornets, uh, even the Wizards, you could throw in uh, Boston, Indiana, Chicago, Atlanta, a, a lot of good teams, but not necessarily a lot of, you know, great or, like, standout teams. And especially going forward, uh, you know, like next year, you know, the, assuming LeBron stays in Cleveland and that team stays pretty much intact, they'll still be, you know, this, the top the top tier of the Eastern Conference. But after that, you know, you don't know exactly what, what DeRozan's going to do in the offseason, which obviously has a huge impact on your Raptors. Uh, you know, the Hawks have been talking about blowing it up, so you don't know where that's going to go. Uh, you know, the Wizards, you, you know, the, the Eastern Conference, to me at least, going forward after this season, it, it seems pretty open. Uh, how far do you do you think the Sixers are, you know, as, you know, I asked you, like, how they currently stand with, you know, all they have in their arsenal as far as the talent they have now, the picks, the flexibility, the cap space, assuming that they, that, you know, they want to contend going forward, that this is the last season of, you know, the quote-unquote, the tank, and that they're, you know, with Colangelo and Tona, they're looking to build the team back up into contention. How far do you see them really being away from competition in the East? I'm not necessarily saying title, you know, title contention, challenging the Warriors, but from being in a conversation where they'll be, you know, on the starters and you guys will be talking about them as a team that, oh, you know, they could win a win a series or, you know, give a, give a good team a challenge, something like that, you know? Uh, I'm not just saying this because I'm, I'm talking with you. I think it's next year. Uh, uh, you know, I, even last year, uh, I wow. said, you know, if, if we picked, uh, you know, we we're picking uh, teams that were in the lottery that potentially make the playoffs. Uh, I picked the Sixers last year because, I, you know, I figured, you know, guys would be healthy this year. Uh, and it's not, doesn't take a ton to make the playoffs in the Eastern Conference, uh, and um, I, I don't see why the Sixers, uh, you know, with uh, a, a guard slash wing help, uh, that they could convert. Uh, as I said, you know, four potentially four draft picks. Uh, one is going to be really, really, really good uh, in in their own pick, um, and the ability to to make a couple trades, you know, with those other picks uh, plus Sarich. I, I just I think I, I don't see why it couldn't be next year um, at all. Uh, and uh, like I said, I mean, you, you look at the, at the bottom of the Eastern Conference playoff picture, and that's got to be the first goal. Obviously, uh, there's you know a couple teams that are are fine, um, but they could definitely be a magic uh, next year. You know, with with a bunch of young guys that. Are, are coming together that play hard, um, that, that obviously have, um, you know, a, a team and an organization, uh, that not only grows players, um, uh, but gets them to, to work their butts off and, and has some player development. I don't see why not. And I, and again, it's not just cause I'm, I'm hanging out with you right now. I, it's not, it's not that tough. You know, there's and they have, and those those four picks, uh, uh, I think um, you can't say enough about the value that they they own um, because you know teams again are going to probably uh, go into this off season um, uh, 
thinking that they have opportunities to get players, but not just because you have uh, a lot of money available and a lot of teams have a lot of money available because the salary cap is going up. There aren't enough players to fulfill those teams' desires. It's not going to happen. So how do they go and 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 try and get better? Well, they're going to need to enter the draft, and that's where the Sixers come in. I think those picks are very valuable, and because Jerry Colangelo showed that he is, along with Sam Hankey, showed that they're willing to trade that first-round draft pick, whichever one was on the table, apparently, uh, you know, for the Atlanta Hawks. So you got to assume that they are willing to get better now. And uh, those those picks have value. And, uh, you know, with basically, you know, if you enter Dario Sarge into the conversation, you, you enter Joel Embiid into the conversation, you, those are two first-round talents. Uh, and that's why I think next year you're adding, if you add those two first-round talents, you know, high, high draft pick type players along with, you know, a potential other one and some value in return for your other draft picks, uh, you know, you've got a, an entirely different team and uh, things are, are entirely different. I mean, you saw the change that an Ish Smith could make, um, you know, midway through this season, uh, you know, that times a hundred, uh, if you have draft picks coming in could happen. Yeah, I, th- I think he just made a lot of Sixers fans pretty happy with uh, with that prediction right there. But I-, I do tend to agree with you that, you know, they're not as far away from actually contending as, you know, a lot uh, in the national media would, you know, portray them as being, uh, you know, kind of like you said, it's it's a matter of, you know, making the right decisions and making the right moves. But Hinky has certainly positioned the team to be, you know, in a spot where they can act to make the team better, whether it be, like you said, through trading some of the, you know, the first round picks that they have piled or, you know, trading some of the, the talent pool that they have now or, uh, you know, just uh, picking up free agents with the, you know, the cap space that they've, uh, you know, acquired over the past couple of seasons. They're, uh, you know, I, I would tend to agree with you. I think that they are closer to contention than, you know, people maybe that, that don't pay too much attention to them realize, uh, you know, if you look at the, the box score on any given night, you know, they lost by 20, I think, last night to Detroit. You see that, and you're like, oh, sixes still suck. But, you know, there's potential, like you said, for a, a big shakeup this summer, uh, and I, I do think it's coming also. And, you know, they'll be hopefully in a in a position where they can start to climb back up the east at that point. But, uh, you know, Tess, I'll, I'll let you out of here, man. I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to – talk some Sixers with me today. Um, you know, have a have a great rest of your day, man. I really appreciate it. Anytime, man. Keep it up. You too, man. Talk to you soon.